This is the John Clayton Show on 710 ESPN Seattle. Get in on the conversation at 866-979-ESPN. Now, here's your host, the professor, John Clayton. Give us a call at 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. <laughs> Let's go to Jet in Seattle. Hey, Jet. Dr. John, good morning. How you doing? Today? Good. How are you? Oh, not too bad. A little sad about the death in the family, but... Uh, yeah, that was tough. I mean, Greg Knapp was such a good guy. Yeah, that's what it seems like. I mean, obviously, he's new to the franchise, but uh, just from reading the articles and whatnot, it appears that uh, he cut a wide swath across across the league, and there, you know, everybody was very happy and very sad that he's, he's gone because uh, he did spread so much good cheer among a lot of the high-quality players in the past 20 years. Yeah, I liked him when he was here and you know, talked to him when he was on other teams and all that stuff. I mean, he, he had been on a lot of teams, that's for sure. And I guess that's that's one of the things if, if you're a quarterback coach and you watch all the changes because, again, what ends up happening is that you know there's this big push for you know, offensive coordinators to get head coaching jobs, and so uh, and then they call the plays, and the next thing you know, it's like you have to move on to another team and you know go there. And you know, the quarterback coach, you know, I guess you, you have to take the position in many ways that uh, you're going to be moving a lot. And he did move a lot because I know he spent time out here. He you know certainly was in Atlanta, and you go all the places that he's been, and now he's uh, before passing away with that. Uh, you know, bike accident. I mean, he was you know with the Jets, and so yeah, just a sad, sad week to lose a guy as good as that. Yeah, it just seems like he was a good guy. Um, yeah, at least that's what it reported. So yeah, that's always a shame. But man, you take a step back from what you're just mentioning. I mean, just the true gypsy lifestyle of assistant coaches that you know fans just don't know, understand, or appreciate or realize is how much these guys do have to move around because. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just kind of have to go with the wind, and uh, it just keeps moving them around, and that's that's a tough lifestyle. You know, it really is. Of them make it to the top, and even these guys that make it to the top, how long do they really stay there? Uh, that's that's and that's just got to be tough on the family. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's that's that's got to be a grind. Well, and it's tough on the family because I mean, think about the fact that it's like okay, so where where does everybody go for school? I mean, you have to keep moving from school to school to school in different cities. That that would be difficult, and you know, in some cases, uh, you know, the uh, you know the husband has to, you know, the, the guy will have to go and move to a new city, and you know, not have his wife there, and it's like it's tough. Yeah, I remember um, uh, hearing a bit of an interview with Yogi Berra's wife, and uh, you know, there's a guy that was on the road, you know, his entire yeah, life, yeah. and you know, she was saying just how weird it was when he finally did retire, you know, as a very old man. Um, that it was just so weird having them around so often, and uh, it's just a totally different lifestyle for them. I guess you adapt, but man, it's just got to be tough, particularly on the wives and the kids. Oh, no question about it. And I mean, you, you think about just the the whole lifestyle and everything else. I mean, fortunately, in the NFL, it pays good money. That's that's encouraging. But even back in the old days, it didn't pay a lot of money. Of course, you know, you didn't have as many coaching changes. But you know, now we're in an age where you know the owners. Aren't patient. I mean, there's you know six, seven, eight coaching changes a year. I mean, this year there was seven, and of course, when that all happens, then you have a whole shakeup with all the assistant coaches and all that, and you know that uh, that becomes very difficult for those guys to be able to figure out what to do. Yeah, yeah, it's got to be tough. Hey, Joe, let me ask you this: If training camp's getting ready to open up yeah. or is opening up, and I know that uh, Elijah Moore, I think, just finally signed his contract. He did. I, I'm not sure if Wilson is signed yet, but he is not. Why? Well, why is it still taking so long 
for these guys to, to sign their contracts when they're coming in. I thought, you know, pretty much everything was cut and dry given the CBA. And uh, what is it that they're still arguing about? Well, I mean, I think it's still a matter of, uh, you know, offset. and Because, uh, again, it's like about three first-rounders still out, including Zach Wilson. And, you know, one of the things is, is that, okay, if you end up getting cut in the fourth year or something like that, I mean, you don't want an offset. I mean, you want to be able to keep your money. And, uh, what, what, and you know what an offset would be is like, okay, so you go to another team and, uh, you know, the you know you don't have to have the extra money coming from the new team and stuff like that. I mean you right. get the money in your pocket, and so I think there's a lot of that debate going on. You know because I know that, uh, but you know really when you when you look at it because I was just updating my list right now and we're down to maybe eight eight draft choices including my three first rounders who haven't signed. So and that's not yeah. bad. And again, you know what it comes down to is you know rookie camp uh, like there's eight rookie camps that are starting today. Uh, and then everybody else reporting on Tuesday. But, I mean, really, I mean, you know, Tennessee has, you know, one guy that's out. Uh, Miami, they, they report today. They have two guys that aren't done, and they got one of them done in Javon Holland. The Chargers, I mean, now they're down to uh, Rashawn Slayton and Trey McKitty. So it's like uh, it's a first and third round pick. And usually what ends up happening is that it's the third-round picks that are more difficult because, again, uh, there's a little bit of a variance as far as you know, what yeah. you can get as far as that guarantee because there's pretty much no guarantees after the third round. And so, But uh, they're all starting to clean up right now. And uh, Minnesota has three out, and that's it. I mean, that's the league. That's the league. Yeah. Now, are those if those kids show up to camp, are they protected if they're not under contract or are they just taking the full risk if something happens to them injury-wise? Uh, these rookie camps that they're not signed yet. Well, I mean, really, you can't uh, you can't put put them on the field. I mean, it's like you can show up, but they can't do anything until you sign the contract. Right, because they're just not protected at that point. Right, but. exactly. Yeah, but again, we're down to like about seven or eight right now, so that's not too bad. Yeah, but you got a new. And again, and, and again, more are going to be signing here today. You know, because again, with Miami going in, they'll get their two two other guys done today. And, uh, you know, we'll see about some of the other teams. Because, again, a total of eight teams are reporting with their rookies today. Yeah. So you'd think this is the 11th hour, so they should be yeah, rolling yeah. in finally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but they, so, they do have to get a Zach Wilson contract done. Yes. Yes, they do. Hey, so change the subject a little bit because it's a hot-button issue here in our household. How about those Cleveland Guardians, huh? Yeah. I mean, what do you think of the nickname? I don't, I don't know where it comes from, but... Uh, well, this is the supposed story. Um, and one of the bridges that you come across to get into Cleveland, mm-hmm. they have two like towers on each side of the bridge, and uh, they're almost like statue-like, kind of Art Deco type of deal. Right. And uh, they're called the Guardians, and purportedly that's where the name came emanates from. Oh, okay. Uh, so, it ba- so, so basically, uh, the, uh, a bridge dictated their name change. Not, not just the bridge, John. The uh, like the gargoyles on the sides of the bridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Weird. Yeah, I was I was kind of hoping for Cleveland Rocks. Yeah, that wouldn't have been bad. I mean, you know, it's like Cause, yeah. Well, first they could go a lot of different ways. First off, you got the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, right? And uh, they can adopt the Drew Carey theme song, Cleveland Rocks, right? And then of course you got the double entendre. They could be, you know have a rock as a mascot or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And uh, it could also be you know pay homage to. Uh, uh, John Rockefeller, the man who basically put Cleveland on the map uh, 150 years ago with uh, Standard Oil. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, 
you know, I, there's a lot of ways it could have gone. But I thought uh, I thought the rocks would have been good. Well, and it also sounds like uh, you know Washington has made a decision on what their nickname is going to be in the NFL, the Washington Football Team, but they're not going to announce it until sometime early next year. Yeah, now you see that also makes kind of sense to me because what I didn't understand is why are the Indians announcing it in the middle of the year? Mm-hmm. You know, right as the pennant races heat up, why can't they wait till the off season or something to try to generate interest? Unless they realize that the name sucks. They're just trying to slide it in amongst a whole bunch of other stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but kind of interesting to see how they handled that and what they did. And uh, but I'm I'm just glad that uh, you know they got the change and they got the uh, the new name. And obviously, once you and now the question is going to be, you know, now that they're the Guardians, are they going to change the uniforms this year? Well, supposedly I don't know if you've seen the mock-up on the logos, but um, basically they it's it's still you know red, white, and blue. Yeah. And uh, they've got uh, baseball in between a couple of, like, funky letter Gs with wings on them or something mm-hmm. on each side of the baseball. And so it looks similar. And I think the logo is going to be basically the same. Instead of, it says St. Indians in that script that they have. It's going to be Guardians. And if you think about it, all you're really changing are three letters. Right. You know, G-U-A-R instead of I-N-D. So, you know, that's, I guess, basically going to start out being the same. I, I don't know. Um, it's... Uh, I'm betwixt and between about that one. I'm going to miss my my buddy Chief Wahoo. Yeah, but um, you know, times change. But uh, I still got an affinity for that little bugger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, hey, it's kind of interesting. And you know, Cleveland's done well as far as how they've been playing and everything else. Well, yeah, they kind of. I tell you, Terry Francona is a magician, and I don't know what they're paying him. And I know he's had a, a myriad of health issues over the last, you know basically since he's been in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just hope he you know, stays well and stays healthy. But just to keep that team even remotely close to 500, given all the injuries they've had this year and the dearth of talent that they have on offense, in particular in the outfield, you know, and they constantly keep selling off their better, trading off their best players, uh, you know, because it's a small market financial issue. Um, you got to give that organization credit that, you know, they can't quite get over the hump. But uh, they do stay com- competitive every year, and uh, you got to give them a lot of credit for that. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I mean, they, uh, they're always competitive, and they somehow got enough good management to be able to keep in races and stuff of that nature. But you're right, they just can't get over the top. No, and, uh, you know, some luck has to be involved as well. Yeah. Like, you know, they've lost two, you know, Game 7s in uh, the last two World Series they've been in. And, uh, I mean, that, that Chicago Cub. World Series was yet again heartbreaking. Um, not quite as to the tune as it was in '97 against the uh, Marlins, because they 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 had the better team. They should not have lost that series. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, that was just I mean, they didn't belong there. It was kind of like a stroke of luck that they got there against the Cubs. But man, that was also heartbreaking, and that was an extra innings too. So I don't know. It's going to be a while for them to get back. But uh, uh, like I said, I'm still going to miss my buddy Little Wahoo. Yeah, 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 yeah. And of course, uh, yeah, it's it's a it, it, they had a history, but of course, again, you know, you got to have you got to be politically sensitive about uh, the name and all those different things. And so, uh, you know, at least they it uh, adjusted to it, got the new name, and now we'll see how they they do as they continue as a team and when they're going to change their uniforms. Well, I just hope all the woke people that uh, push for the change of name uh, start coming to the ball games and and become fans instead of just critics. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, that would be a, a disservice to everybody. But anyway, moving on. So uh, 
let's wind this up with uh, another segment of uh, Urban Legend. Uh-huh. Uh, what's going on down in Jacksonville? What's Urban Meyer screwed up in the last couple of weeks? Well, I mean, uh, nothing, I guess, in the last uh, two weeks. But, of course, uh, you know, you can still see there's some questions. I mean, for example, uh, you know, some of the rookies have already reported, and they've got four four guys, uh, four, four players on the team that uh, have positive tests for COVID. So, again, now you kind of wonder, I mean, it's like, okay, uh, does houses – uh, what's what's the guy the percentage that are vaccinated and not vaccinated and that I think you know they, they probably haven't I know they had a very low percentage you know now I think the the way the league is right now I mean everybody's over 50 percent as far as teams so they were down in the 30s and 40s and so that that improved but I mean you got four guys that have tested for COVID and of course it's in a state right now in Florida where the positivity rate is over 11 and so it's like uh, you know. Are, are the players listening? Are they? And again, you get so many players right now that don't want to get the, uh, you know, the, uh, the vaccine, and you know, there's and they're really pushing for unvaccinated players to, uh, you know, pay heavy fines. Like for example, they just came out today, and if you break any kind of a protocol for each break of protocol, like for example, if you don't wear a mask and you're unvaccinated, I mean, you can get fined fourteen thousand six hundred and fifty dollars a day. Yeah, I was gonna. That was the next question I was gonna ask you was because uh, I heard that uh, the NFL came across with a policy basically saying that if a team has to forfeit mm-hmm. because of COVID, because uh, of COVID, I mean you're gonna forfeit and get a loss, but you also have to make up uh, the financial losses to your opponent for not playing the game, right? And uh, also have a heavy fine. Mm-hmm. What I know is it's not a government organization; it's a private organization, ostensibly. What can the NFL do with their players to force them? Or can they force them to uh, uh, to take the vaccines? They can't. Um, or and is there something in the, in the the players' association bargaining with mm-hmm. CBA that says they can't? Or? They cannot. No, that's that's uh, something that's mandated that they cannot. I mean, they can make the coaches do it, but they can't make the players do it. But then what they do is that uh, you know, if, let's say you know you had a forfeit. I mean, you know, the, you're right. The team that has to forfeit. Uh, you know, they have to give, uh, you know, make make do with the league and make do with some of the expenses in that. But also, players on both teams don't get their game checks. Ooh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Both teams don't get their game checks. So even, like, you're, you're a victim of this. I mean, you get the win, but now the players don't get paid. Hey, I've got to run. So, okay. Jet, thank you. Okay. 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN, John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. This is the John Clayton Show on 710 ESPN Seattle and 710sports.com. Okay, looking for your phone calls at 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. We're on the eve of training camp here because training camp opens up on Tuesday. So give us a call. Tell us what you think about the Seahawks, uh, your thoughts on the offense, your thoughts on the defense, your thoughts on the Jamal Adams situation. Call us at 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. Your thoughts on your team, if you uh, you know have concerns about your team as they head into training camp and what the big thing you're looking for in training camp. All those different questions are out there, so just give us a call at 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. And also, we are taking your text questions in the Mac and Jack text line. That's going to be at 710-710. So let's go for some text questions at the 360. Any any news out of San Francisco? How do you think they'll look against the Hawks this year? Well, I mean, no news 
uh, in the last week or so. I mean, clearly, I mean, they're having the competition that's going to be there that Jimmy Garoppolo should be able to beat out Trey Lance at the, uh, yeah, <coughs> there. I think they're still kind of looking for cornerback help uh, and trying to see, you know, because right now they got Jason Verrett, you know, they've got uh, Quam Williams in in the in the slot uh but still it's you know a matter that uh you know they 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 look like they're set to bounce back and now it's a matter of fighting off all the injuries and the problems that they have with injuries because they were the most injured team in football last year losing more starters than any other team so you know that's going to be their big challenge and so it's a it's a important year for them to try to bounce back i mean i know kyle shanahan seems to be optimistic uh, but nevertheless, it's like, uh, hey, like anything else, it's like you got to stay healthy because, again, the injury bug really has hurt them in many of the last several years, and it worked against them. And, of course, uh, they had a little bit too physical uh, practices as far as the OTAs and ended up having to break them short and then getting a, you know, losing an OTA next year and Kyle Shanahan getting a $100,000 fine. Uh, from the 425, John, I like the Cleveland Guardians' new name, uh, do you think uh, this will help inspire the Washington football team to pick its new mascot? Well, I mean, uh, I think they've already kind of internally done it. It's just that they haven't announced it. And again, I don't know what it's going to be. You know, it's like, I don't know if it's going to be the Washington Senators or whatever it's going to be. But I think that they've picked it, but they've made the decision that they're going to you know, announce it next year, not this year. So they're staying the Washington football team. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what they do for a mascot or anything of that nature, but still look like they're moving in the right direction. From the 206, are you excited for the Kraken following the draft? I am because, again, I think that uh, what you like is that, uh, you know, where the Las Vegas had a struggling time trying to get centers well, I mean, the uh, the Kraken was able to get a center in the expansion draft. Their first pick is a center out of Michigan, and that's such an important position because you're you're in the middle. You're right now, you know, going to have a chance to be the leading goal scorer. You have a chance to really do well. So I think that they came out of that in a real good stead. And so, uh, again, what I can't say is how 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 good that uh, draft was because I don't know any of the players. You know, again, having not watched hockey in the longest time. You know, it's like, uh, you know, I don't know any of the names or anything of that nature, but it sounds like everything should be in good shape. I mean, certainly the NHL helped them out by making sure that they were able to get good players that were going to be available in the expansion draft. And also, uh, I don't know how good of a draft this is overall, but I think they're, you know, they're moving in the right direction, and I think they should be good. From the 360, how popular do you think the Kraken will be in Seattle? Do you see the popularity fading after a season or two? No, I think it's going to just get stronger because I think now people will get used to uh, hockey. They're going to like hockey, particularly uh, you know, once you get into the stadium and once you get in there and start to uh, you know, enjoy the games and find out that you know, uh, a Kraken game and a hockey game is better to watch in person than even on TV. And I think they'll have a good TV audience. Obviously, you see that uh, you know, Root Sports committed to them, and they'll, they'll get that. And I think you can just see take, – take a look at the reaction. I still remember being at the owner's meeting when they opened up sales of tickets – and they ended up, uh, you know, selling out in 10 minutes. And then, uh, you know, as far as, you know, putting the season ticket orders in. And then, of course, I mean, you see the excitement that was there at the expansion draft. So I think that all st- stands out well. So, no, I think that it's not going to fade. I just think it's going to get stronger. 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle.
This is the John Clayton Show on 710 ESPN Seattle and 710sports.com. Call us at 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. Let's go to Rob in Gig Harbor. Hey, Rob. Hey, hey, John. Thanks for taking my call. Um, it's a little history. Last year we spoke right before the last playoff game of the Seahawks, yeah. and my topic was Seattle's use of the failed hard count. And true to form, in Seattle's last game, that bit them several times in that game to the point where you even mentioned it in one of your post-game shows as to one of the reasons why Seattle lost the playoff game. So I was just wondering – is that something that Russ does on his own, or is that something from Carroll or the offensive coordinator? Because it seems like they just can't figure out that it's hurting their team more than helping them. Yeah, I think it's just a matter that uh, sometimes you know you're, 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 the quarterback is reading things and stuff like that, and he wants to make a change at the last minute as an audible, and I think that that kind of goes. But uh, it's just you know, let's put it this way: it's like <clears throat> Russell is still so good at being able to manage the quarterback position that sometimes it gets out of sync. But I think the big thing was last year that uh, in the second half of the season, in particular that playoff game, that you know they just didn't have any answers for the cover two, and so now. They'll have answers yeah. and to try to fix that up. But I think what what happens is, I mean, you see the defensive alignment as far as that, and then it's like, okay, so how are we going to change the play and stuff like that? But, uh, you know, ultimately, Russell does such a good job at just about everything. Somehow, well, the only, yeah, the only, the no, only no issue doubt. is he holds the ball a little bit too long. Uh, to try to you know escape uh, pressure and stuff like that, and like for you, you know you can't you can't do what he did last year and have it for two point nine seven seconds. Right, and can, just to build on that point too, John, is it seems like Russ also has a habit of taking the count way, way, way down to where the defense can just say, "God, there's only a second left. We can tee yeah. off and anticipate the snap now," and that has to contribute to the yeah. But that, that's that's that's, well, that's most that's most quarterbacks. I don't. Tell me, <clears throat> tell me what yeah. quarterback. Uh, I mean, whether it's Aaron Rodgers, whether it's uh, you know uh, Patrick Mahomes. I think that's just that's just the nature of quarterbacks. I mean, again, it's like <clears throat> you, the the headsets uh, stop at 15 seconds, and so then it's a matter of uh, getting everybody set, and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, you know, you make an adjustment, you have a little bit of movement on the uh, with the receivers and stuff like that, a little bit of movement and stuff, and so it it just it, that's just I think that's just the nature of offense in the NFL. Well, yeah, but not all the other quarterbacks in the NFL are getting sacked as much as Russ, right? Mm, I mean, uh, Joe Burrow got sacked a lot. Uh, I mean, you know, it's it's one where he wants to make a play, and so if things start to break yeah. down, he's going to run around and try to do that. I mean, you know, since 2013, he's averaged. I mean, he's had 40 plus sacks each year, and that's a lot. But now I think that uh, with this new offense, that number is going to come down. Well, I'm hoping, John. I'm, I'm hoping. But uh, thanks for thanks for taking my call. Okay, Rob. Hey, thank you. Eight six six nine seven nine ESPN two zero six four two one ESPN. Let's go to Jacqueline in La Center. Hey, Jacqueline. Hey, John. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for taking the call. Well, I'm calling, and it's a little awkward, so um, I'll just rely on here you here to uh, give direction. Um, I'm calling about Richard Sherman, yeah. and uh, a, a little background on myself without 
you know, overdoing it. I am by profession a mental health therapist, state mm-hmm. license. I've worked for, you know, 15 years with an older adult population, a lot of dementia, etc. And, um, you know, I listened to the Brock and Salk podcast this week, and they are just, they were really brutal on Richard and him not taking personal responsibility, etc. Without going into that, the um, when I see what's going on with Richard, I see early stage CTE mm-hmm. and concussion related and head trauma, and nobody is talking about it. And people are angry and mad at him, and et cetera, et cetera. I'm wondering, does it, um, for one thing, I think he hid head trauma. He himself talked about in that playoff game being concussed and keep playing. He was not ordered, I think it was before they ordered you know, players out for, into the concussion protocol. You'd have to correct my memory on that. But, um, you know, I think the value to the community is to discuss this, both in trying to get support for Richard, uh, you know, uh, cooling down the rage people may be feeling. They have to be considering this as early stage, some kind of an organic process. And... Um, in those processes, you know, what was there before behaviorally or personality-wise will get exaggerated. But if you just do a casual read on Google, uh, you don't even have to have the uh, mental health handbook, um, increased uh, mood swings, irritability, suicidality, uh, aggressive behavior, I mean, it goes on. Every one of those symptoms is something Richard is evidencing. And the fact that his wife said this is out of character for him, again, would point to, you know, an onset of some other process. And, you know, they threw out the word um, alcoholic, you know. My understanding is that, too, is out of character for Richard. And I, I would see drinking that much alcohol as an attempt at self-medication to quell the terror he may be feeling at loss of function. Mm-hmm. A bright guy like that, very talented. I mean, the horror at his age of having to face that kind of loss. I don't know. It's just when I hear it, when I see it, I, I loved Richard as a player, and I understand, you know, Pete Carroll is a great coach, and it it just doesn't get to the issue of what could be going on with him and what the league needs to face here with head trauma. Yeah, I mean, and the, the, how to identify it early. Yeah, I mean, the it's, seat, it's only the, diagnosable upon death. Mm-hmm. By the way, yeah, I mean, you the CTE a cadaver, and yeah. then they look at your brain. Well, the CTE thing has been mentioned, and I've mentioned it as a possibility because, again, it's like, uh, you know, that happens and you can see it, particularly with some of the older players, not necessarily those that are still playing, but you can see that that is a big issue. And, I mean, you can see that uh, where this started, who knows, but we know something started sometime in uh, at least February or earlier than that because there was an order that went out that said that he can't be around guns. And so you have to figure that... uh, Right. He was, you know, getting some suicidal things going on there. And then, obviously, things kind of peaked uh, on that Tuesday night when, I guess, he battled his uncle. Uh, he was threatening suicide. He 
ended up ha- drinking the, the two bottles of hard alcohol uh, and, you know, then, then end up uh, getting in the car and driving. So it's like it just kind of peaked at that stage. Oh, but, very reckless. Yeah, no That's question. exactly what you would see with CTE. Mm-hmm. Explain, explain what CTE does and what that, what that would cause. It's, it's concussive traumatic brain injury, um, encephalopathy, they call it. And the, it's, it's a, um, you only need one concussion, and you can evidence it early in life. It's different for every person, is my understanding. I'm not an expert in that field, but it's very much like a dementia an early onset of dementia, which is the brain is injured and it's progressive and there's no stopping it. That's probably the best way to understand it. It would be like an early onset Alzheimer's, um, which are brain illnesses more people would be familiar with. Of So uh, a lot of people get frustrated with people who are in early stage um, of any one of those organic brain disorders because they think they're just being difficult or ornery or, and then the, the person who is suffering those symptoms, they begin to feel isolated and alone and you know, everybody gets mad mm-hmm. and it, it just snowballs. Yeah, and uh, and that's the thing. It's like uh, so now he did on his statement <clears throat> say that you know he's going to you know get try to you know get some help on this stuff. I mean, what can help? What can be done to help him out? If particularly if it is you know starting to be from CTE related type activity. Well, recognizing recognizing the possibility that that could be the problem, mm-hmm. and that he is. Um, it's it's a different level of problem. It's not just the behavior and now you have to take responsibility for your bad behavior. That's all still there, but but yes and no. The long, you know, um, the issue here is agency, one's own agency, because as this progresses, one loses agency, and others have to step in and put in I don't, I'll use the word controls. This is where you begin to see um, uh, people appointed to supervise finances and medical care. Mm-hmm. And it's not just seen as an individual problem. It begins, systems begin to step in place to help the person cope and to and um, gauge safety measures. So you're not just looking at the person and saying, why don't you, you know, take responsibility and do something different. Uh You're actually um, beginning to put those pieces in place for that person. So it's it's really a shift in how the problem is perceived. And it's pretty clear he has a big problem because, uh, you know, it's not just like an overnight thing that happened on one night. I mean, it's something that's been brewing for some time. Right, it's a process. Yeah. Right, right, it's a process. And, you know, he's so high, so high functioning. And um, only Richard with his health care provider could begin to specifically identify what deficits, if any, he's experiencing and sort out um but the problem again is how much insight 
would somebody beginning to have this problem have over themselves? And, you know, it's just the treatment is very different. If, if you're dealing with someone who's fully responsible, what you expect of them and what you give them and how you treat them is different than how you engage with someone who is losing the ability to do those things mm-hmm. for themselves. And the problem for, again, anyone with CPE is it's, it's really only diagnosable or confirmed on death. That's why that one player shot himself in the chest so he could, you know, offer his brain to uh, science to confirm diagnosis. Mm-hmm. But, um, but certainly you don't need to be dead. No. <laughs> you can see those. We're seeing those kind of changes in him right before our very eyes. Compared to climate change, here we are, you know, we've been warned about this, and now we're, you know, living with the smoke every summer. It's uh-huh. coming, by the way, next weekend. Have you heard? But it's incremental. It's slow. And then all of a sudden, it's, oh, my gosh, here it is. Anyway, I just, you know, I wanted to put that out as it, it, just to tone down the rage and anger, yeah, which is only going to exacerbate whatever is going on for that man. Hey, Jacqueline. He's, he's fi- been a great person. I'm just sick about it. Yeah, and of course, I mean, and you know I'm, I'm biased because uh, when I won the Keith Jackson Award for Broadcasting in the state, you know, I asked Richard to be my presenter because that's, uh, you know, he was as good of a player right. as I've ever dealt with. And so, uh, you know, so I obviously care about this guy because, you know, number one, when he did uh, see him in the locker room. You learn more football from him because he studies the game so well. When he did press conferences, because again, he was an honor student, stuff of that nature, he was always the smartest guy in the room at the press conference. And so it's like, you know, I do care about him and I hope he does get this thing fixed up and we're able to find out where it is. Hey, Jacqueline, fantastic phone call. And thank you. Well, thank you. Um, Thank you, John. Okay. Love your show. Thank you. 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. This is the John Clayton Show on 710 ESPN Seattle and 710sports.com. 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. Let's go to Jeff in Federal Way. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Mr. Clayton. Happy Saturday. Happy Saturday to you. So I'm excited. Excited for the preseason stuff to start, the training camps, the storylines, all that stuff. Um, I can't wait. Uh, question for you is: KJ Wright uh, is he going to be a guy that maybe the Hawks wait till end of training camp or a couple of weeks in, or are they going to bring him in before? I know they got some huge contracts to deal with, and Dwayne Brown and Jamal Adams. But uh, where do you think he's? He's at right now. Well, he's still talking. I know he was on Sirius uh, XM NFL Radio this week, and he uh-huh. said he's still talking. But uh, you know, we'll see. Uh, you know, I think right now they want to try to go into the start of training camp with uh, Cody Barton as a strong side uh, outside linebacker, and they want to go with uh, certainly uh, Jordan Brooks as the weak side outside linebacker, and have Daryl Taylor there. You know, it, it could yeah. be one of those things. Like, I mean, we've seen this a couple times over the last couple of years, both with the Seahawks and other teams, you know, what you do. And again, it's like you figure somebody was going to scoop them up before the start of the season. But let's say, for example, that, uh, you know, you, you want to bring him 
because <laughs> again, he knows all the all, he knows the defense. Right. <laughs> so you don't bring him in the first week. You bring him in for week two because I think he'd be so valuable uh, going against Tennessee and you know Derrick Henry and all those stuff. But uh, oh yeah. But uh, you know it's like I don't know if that would be the case. And you know if you do something like that, I mean you'd like to sign him sometime in training camp just so that you know he get you know, shows he's in shape and all those different things and right. uh, and where he is. And then you know, may you may cut him and then bring him back in week two and the the reason that uh, you can do it that way is that you don't have the guarantee because uh, you know every veteran vested veteran you know your contract is guaranteed if you're on the roster after the first uh, week of the season so that's oh. Saturday uh, and so let's say he signs for two million dollars and uh, you know they cut him but they bring him back the next week I mean they don't have to guarantee him the two million you know what they can do is like it's a 25 percent or something like that so you know uh, if he's let go but uh, you know I think that that could be a possibility so yeah. I wouldn't rule it out but right now I don't think it's in the cards it's kind of like you know what's going on with the Rams with the loss of Cam Akers you know Cam oh, Akers the yeah, running back that, that's, that was a big hit for them yeah it was and so what you can see is that, uh, you know, they, they don't plan to bring in a running back right now. They want to go into training camp, you know, with Daryl Henderson and a running back by committee, see how that goes, and then make a decision if they want to add anybody. So they're not yeah. adding anybody right now. So, you know, there doesn't seem to be right now the urgency for K.J. Wright, but I still think he'd be a valuable guy to bring back. Well, I understand, too, that, you know, you know you have to get younger eventually and mm-hmm. give these guys some playing time and see what you have and um i i think daryl taylor uh, i think he i i'm hoping he has a a good year and you know health is everything with everybody and uh so i'm excited for that um and then the other thing is i've been listening to all the morning shows when i drive to work and everybody's already got the la rams pegged to win the super bowl (laughs) and it's like well okay i mean yeah they're talented and stuff like that and uh, San Francisco, they're predicting second, and Seahawks and Cardinals will be fighting for third and fourth. I was like, wait a second, I, I just don't get this, but uh, I understand, you know, you know the big sign Matthew Stafford, but the Rams also lost a lot of coaches and players to get Matthew Stafford, so I don't know what the transition is there. And you know, the Niners, I think, are a great team. I don't know about Jimmy G, but if we have the best quarterback in the division. It's kind of like Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers, even though I don't think that's going to happen this yeah, year. Yeah. I still like the Hawks in the West. I do, too. You know, yeah, I'm really with you. Do. Yeah, see, I'm with you because, I mean, look at the reality. You know, once they were able to make the trade for Matthew Stafford that, and then take the dead money on Todd Gurley, I mean, on uh, Jared Goff, that's $42.2 million of cap. All right. Yeah. And so because of that, they lose four starters on defense. Four. They, you know, they lose their starting center. He he went to uh, Kansas City. Uh, you know, they lose Gerald Everett. They lose Josh Reynolds, the wide receiver. Uh, you know, they uh, they've taken a lot of hits. And, and some so, of the coaches. Oh yeah, and Brandon Staley leaves to go yeah. to a head coaching job with the Chargers. And you know, I right. think they're down to like uh, you know five coaches from the original Sean McVay staff. So you throw all yeah. that together and you say, well, wait a second here. Uh, things are kind of different. And it's like, and remember, they weren't able to add hardly anything. I mean, the only player they really added other than draft choices. And remember, they haven't had a, they're in a stretch right now of seven they years. They haven't had a first-round draft pick in for 
two years. And yeah, well, I think they're in a couple more years to go. Yeah, they're in a seven-year <laughs> stretch where they don't have first-round picks, and so it's oh, like, dear. A, yeah, so it's like, I mean, they've done a nice job of filling the void, but that's uh-huh. that's okay. But uh, you know, in the end, I think that uh, you know they've got to, uh, you know, it's like they weren't able to add. Seattle was able to add. And so yeah. that's where I think Seattle has the edge. You know, and so I think yeah. people are kind of overdoing it just because it's like, oh, you got Matt, you got Matthew Stafford. Well, that's one player, and he's a good right. player. But you know, still, Russell Wilson's the best quarterback in this division. Hey, thank you for the phone call. All right, thank you. Have a great Saturday. Thank right. you. Eight six six nine seven nine ESPN two zero six four two one ESPN. Ed in Denver. Hold on, we'll get to you after the break. It's the John Clayton Show. Seven ten ESPN Seattle.